Hello, and welcome to episode 221 of Smarts, which as we all know stands for... Sentient meanies attack roguish TARDIS sidekicks. Ooh, Ooh, very good. Thank you. My name is Rudiger Q. Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor. Hi. And your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster. Correct. Yes. So we actually have some news this week. Ooh. I think you know all of this already, though. Mm. Um, so the CW announced this week that they have renewed all the shows that we watch, uh-huh. with the exception of a couple of shows they have on the network, only one of which we watch that are ending this year, those being Arrow, which we watch, and Supernatural, which we don't watch. Um, but aside from those shows, pretty, pretty much everything else, certainly all the superhero shows we watch have been renewed. So Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Batwoman, yep. uh, all renewed. Hooray! Um, mildly surprising in as much as we know that there's at least two more shows coming, Superman and Lois and Green Arrow and the Canaries, uh-huh. which would make seven shows i think which is a lot i would certainly guess that but if they're losing two and gaining two so yeah but they're oh, yeah but that's i mean that's true but of the two they're losing only one is a superhero show so they're they're further increasing their stock of superhero shows true. when a couple of years ago when they were at four the president said that they weren't going to be adding any more and now they're going to be at seven well um so i don't know that's a lot i would guess that probably if not this season, what will this be? Season six of The Flash or seven? Um, no, I think six. Because Let me it's think. Seven it was two of... years behind Arrow, yeah. and this is season eight of Arrow. So this is season six of Flash, oh. which would mean next year will be season seven, Ooh. which is often when shows end. Arrow went eight seasons. I don't know. I would guess that, I don't know, though. Usually with... Usually recently with these kinds of shows, mm-hmm. if you're going, if you renew a show for a final season, you they, they will tell the fans that up front. They're like, this is going to be the last season. Right. They don't announce it like halfway during the season or something. Right. So I would guess that this isn't, this isn't it could always be canceled due to low ratings, but I would guess that from a, on a creative level, this is not intended by the showrunners to be the final seasons of any of these shows. Uh-huh. And so I would guess that one or two of the shows will probably end next year like maybe flash and supergirl because legends i mean even if katie lots wanted to leave the show or mm-hmm. something they could mm-hmm. always just bring more characters in that show kind of there's not really any reason to end that show right um and if anything it's the creatively with the possible exception of black lightning it's the one that gets the most critical acclaim because everybody seems to love legends of tomorrow since it yeah. kind of got got really good around season two or three mm-hmm. um so they could keep that show going forever by just cycling in new characters and bringing other characters from other shows. Mm-hmm. But Flash, because it has like that core cast, which might want to do other things, I think has more of a built-in shelf life. So I would guess that no, so seemingly no cancellations this year. I would guess that when they announce the renewals this time next year, though, we will hear that one or two of the shows, my guess would be Flash and Supergirl mm-hmm. um, will end. Because it does kind of seem, I don't know, like, People who don't watch a lot of superhero shows, like, how could there be that many? Like, isn't it redundant? Aren't they all the same story? Well, you know, people who watch them or have been reading comics their whole lives know that there's an infinite number of stories you can tell. But so far as CW superhero shows are concerned, one could make the argument that having a Supergirl show and a Superman show Mm -hmm. is as close as the network has come to being redundant. It's not obviously not completely redundant because there's a Supergirl comic and many Superman comics, right? Yeah. But it would be like having a Flash show and a kid flash show mm-hmm. to, to make a broad analogy you know or or whatever pick whatever other analogy you want right it does seem like that's the closest they've come to redundancy yet so since we know they're doing a superman show presumably debuting fall 2020 i would guess that at the same time they will sort of like the first season of superman will coincide with the final season of supergirl that right. would be my guess and probably other the probably also the final season of the flash although the flash is their biggest consistent ratings show 
So if everybody's game for one or two more seasons, I could see them trying to get that to go eight or nine or even ten seasons if everybody's game for it. I think you could lose everybody but Grant Gustin. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know. If you lost, um, God, I'm blanking on the name of the actress that plays Iris. Uh, oh, oh, Candace, Candace Patton, yeah. right? If you lost, could could the show go on if you lost her? I mean, obviously they could write any number of explanations, and certainly she was dead for a long time in the comics, although so was Barry. Yeah. But the way the show is currently structured, could you could you have her leave the show and still have it continue? I'm not Probably sure you could. Probably not. Not for long, anyway. I mean, they lost Felicity on Arrow, but they did so knowing that they were going to do this very different, very final season. And so it kind of works that she's not there because right. it's almost like a... You know, a reunion tour, all the analogies we've been using, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure you could lose Iris on The Flash any more than you could, say, lose Alex on Supergirl. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure it would really work. So so uh, sooner or later, they're going to start hemorrhaging cast members. Like, it's inevitable on these shows. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. My guess is that last season will probably be the final season. Ne- not this one that's just been announced, but... You know, Next the time. one that we're hearing about yeah. a year from now. Yeah. So probably, my guess is two more seasons left on Flash and Supergirl. And they might try to keep Legends going even longer, even if Katie Lotz and Dominic Purcell want to leave the show. Because right. we already know that Brandon Routh is leaving this season. Although that wasn't his choice. That was the writers. We talked about this, right? right. They said that they, in writing his arc for this season, it kind of came to a natural end. Mm-hmm. Um, because they want the show to constantly be fresh with new characters. Like, they even say as much that they, they want, they, like they're pushing original cast members at the door, practically, yeah. to bring in new characters. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. That that would be my guess. I mean, that they've got... And then they could spin off characters, right? Like, if they want to do a White Canary show, I think that that would... I know. You know they could, they could always do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but that's my guess. So, at least, you know, we're going to get more seasons of all the shows we like. But my guess is that this time next year, we'll hear that some of them are ending. Yep. And the other news that we have, also in Renewal News, we talked a few weeks ago about how it was reported in the trade publications that Star Trek Picard was going to get a second season, but it's been officially announced by yep. the network and the mm-hmm. cast and everything that that will happen. So Whee. obviously good news. Um, only a week and a couple of days until the first episode of this. I know. So I it's can't very close. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely be talking about it on the show. So, yeah. You so know, keep up and uh, be sure to include that in your spoiler. And again, warning. I mean, even if the first season isn't the greatest thing ever, the fact that they that they gave it this renewal ahead of even coming out leads me to believe that people you know at the network level and everyone else is happy with it I know, you know yeah so and that's even, exciting even if, even even if like season one of discovery was 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 very good and it was you know very different you know and and some people think a lot of people think season two of discovery was better than season one i mean it's the way star trek shows normally go because they're massive undertakings there's a whole bunch of new faces the cast doesn't always gel right away etc cetera, etc cetera. yep um but here, it's much more of a no-no. Yeah, and so they took they took what some people didn't think worked as well about season one of Discovery, and then they they improved it in season two. And so even if Picard is not, you Great. know, the yeah. greatest show out, out of the gate, it'll, it'll at the very least be interesting, and it'll be fun to see the old characters again, and then, you know, it could always improve from there. So it's good that they're they're keeping them going anyway. It'd be a shame if it was just a one, just eight episodes, and that's all we get. I know. You know, out of Patrick know. Stewart. Yeah. Um, that's it for our news. That's exciting. So that's what was really your comic funny. of the week? So this week, I think I picked Young Justice number whatever the heck came out this week. 12. Yay! Um, basically, this one made me laugh out loud. I love the writing of um, Brian Michael Bendis um, in, in general, like as a rule of thumb. But in this particular issue, there were so many witty, quippy, cute and clever and funny and 
uh, insightful remarks that the characters were doing that seriously every other page I laughed out loud at something and I, I would reread certain panels here and there just because it was so darn funny and really sharp really really sharp writing this week I mean it just it was great it was really fun and entertaining the art continues to be amazing I love seeing all the characters and see where it's going from there yes the plot is moving a little slowly but still I'm having a really fun time and this particular issue was really really fun and they almost they almost hang a lantern on it when there's a splash page in every issue since the third or fourth issue with some text that says you know basically like previously on and then it always ends with like and there's still so many questions about yeah. why they're all back together yeah. and how they even remember each other and i'm like yeah bendis there are it's been 12 issues now <laughs> Can you maybe start giving some us answer? some of these answers yeah. i don't know why you would include that unless you're gonna anyway like um, remember this is the thing you want to know <laughs> i would like to know that i mean if the whole answer is going to be basically doomsday clock is over and now we can you know like if that's why it's been dragged out i guess that's not his fault yeah um yeah. but yeah so uh, so my pick of the week was Batman number 86. Nice. So this is the first issue by uh, James Tiny in the fourth and uh, Tony Daniel on art. Mm-hmm. Um, following after, obviously, Tom King's seminal run, which we talked about probably 50 different times I on know. the show. Um, we've all, I've, you know, Tiny's stuff has been great. You know, he did a great, he did a great run on Detective Comics. When, yep. the, when Rebirth started, that was the whole Gotham Knights era. Yeah. With Tim as Red Robin and Spoiler and Orphan and Clayface and Batwoman and Batwing. Yep. He's been doing great stuff on Justice League Dark. That's consistently one of our great picks. He wrote uh, the first year or so of Justice League Odyssey. He's not writing it anymore. Um, and that was great as well. And he's done a bunch of other great stuff here and there. Um, but this is his first time on the main Batman book. I actually, now that I think about it, I'd be interested in seeing what he does with Superman. I'm not sure I've ever read his Superman stuff. I don't think he's ever written Superman, aside from maybe a couple of little guest appearances in Justice League Dark. Yeah. He seems to gravitate more towards the darker characters and the teen characters. Like I think he really has a... Has, I think he said like he's got a Teen Titans run in him somewhere because he loves Tim Drake and Stephanie yeah. and those those teen characters because those are the ones he grew up like he grew up like I did reading Chuck Dixon's uh, Robin run what was Tim Drake and Stephanie meeting for the first time and all that stuff and mm-hmm. he loves all those characters so I'm sure he he's got a great Teen Titans run in him somewhere but he's also a huge Batman fan and so this was a really good issue so it sets up some intriguing new mysteries Joker's got some new big plot going on there's this interesting thing where all these master assassins are in town for some reason yep. there's this thing that this mystery with Catwoman where people are like being disintegrated by Cheshire's poison I guess she she maybe it's hinted that she knows something maybe about why all these assassins are here like it has something to do with something from her past right. I like that he's carrying the for, carrying forward the idea that Batman and Catwoman are basically partners now like yep. they're mm-hmm. it's like it's like Batman and Robin, basically. Batman and Catwoman, the new Batman and Robin. Like, they'll be in every issue together, working yeah. together, I yeah. guess. Um, this interesting new thing, and they, they do this every so often. And Snyder did this, about, I think Morrison even did this. It seems like every new writer has to come in and say, oh, Bruce Wayne is the cool new thing that Bruce Wayne is going to do and his Bruce Wayne identity as opposed to his Batman identity. He's going to rededicate himself to rebuilding and, re- and renovating Gotham and, and getting it ready for the future and rehabilitating it. I've read that a bunch of times. But it does make sense, you know, after the City of Bane thing, right. that the Gotham would need some re- rehabilitation. Yeah. And, you know, it, it gets into his mental space, too, where, you know, Alfred is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got Lucius kind of trying to fill some of that void, but he slips up a couple of times and says Alfred's name. You right. can tell that it's weighing on him. And you could tell that it's... It's something that, you know, he was he was sort of torn down by Bane, even though King sort of established later that, oh, part of it was like part of this long plan that he was running to like lure Bane into a false sense of security. But still, you know, killing Alfred yeah. and, and, you know, is no small is no small defeat to Batman, even if everything else was sort of part of a plan. 
Um, so he's sort of broken him down. And so now this is part of his thing. Like he's, you kind of get the sense of these little bit of transference going on. Like yes. He can't control that. So he's going to like, you know, he can't build himself back up. Like he can't repair the damage that Bane did to him necessarily, but he can rebuild the city. You know, that's right. sort of one thing that he can do. Yeah. Um, and we get this cool new sort of new Batwing slash like mech thing that he's flying around that Lucius yes. made for him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Not even so some, much as beta tested. There's yes. some scenes th- here between him and Bullock, and we know I think it was even mentioned in one of the other comics this week that that uh, Bullock is going to be the new commissioner. I'm not, not sure he was as of this issue, but it was mentioned I think in one of the other comics yeah. this week, Commissioner Bullock. Um, so there's some, a lot of changes going on around him. So and the art was fantastic. There's a great two page spread at the beginning with him sort of like I'm not sure if it's the moonlight or a streetlight or what, but like this yellow light coming down him and he's in the rain. Yeah. It's a two page spread of him like you know we've seen these these kinds of spreads a million times, but Tony Daniel draws the heck out of it with like him crouched on a rooftop mm-hmm. or something in the rain with, you know, a lot of negative space and the, the light cast down on him. A lot of it is in the coloring too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who colored this issue. I'm trying to think. I, I might, Tamu Mori is the name of someone who often works with Tony Daniel, but I'm not sure if that's in, the inker or the, or the colorist. I could be wrong. Um, I do Florio was also, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm getting some of the names. There's certain names that I picture in conjunction with his, but I can't remember if one of them is the inker that usually works with them or the colorist. It's way above my um, grade. But yeah, no, it looks fantastic. And I think that he's, and you know, Tom King has said before that this run like has, not that it needs his blessing or whatever, but it's like, oh, I've read what James is planning and it's awesome. And I wish I'd thought of some of these ideas and yeah. I can't wait to read it kind of thing. Some of that is probably professional courtesy, but I think he doesn't, he's not one to, you know, blow a lot of smoke. He'll just be like quietly silent if he doesn't like what someone is, you know, like if someone came along and wrote like a really bad sequel to his Mr. Miracle story, he probably, he wouldn't go on Twitter and trash them. He'd just be quietly silent, I think. So right. the fact that he's, that he's actually praising it is is uh, is a good sign. Yeah, no, I think this is a really strong start. I'm mm-hmm. looking to see where, looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Yeah, I liked it because in that same spread that you were talking about, you can also see that there's construction happening in the background in several different sites on the uh, skyline. I don't know if you looked closely enough at, at the actual yeah. background and the silhouette, but it was really significant too because with um, the overlay of uh, Alfred's discussing, they used to be your little drawings. You have a design for Gotham. You know, you call them your little Gotham, your little Gothams or Gothamites or something like that. Do, do you have any uh, yeah, memory I of the, I the terminology that he used? It was really cute. It wasn't like creepy, but <laughs> he basically was saying like, ever since you were a kid, you were envisioning what Gotham could be in the future. And, you know, you could put that to good use. Um, so all of it on that panel coming together, pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. So for your pop quiz this week. Oh boy. Since we just finished watching the compilation movies of the uh, 1970s anime Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I thought I would give you a quiz about uh, those those movies. If you have no idea what uh, any of this means, feel free well, to be a link grab in the show a soda <laughs> or a little snack break um, and rejoin that's, and laugh at me. That's what every podcaster later. should do is just give people explicit permission <laughs> to just check out for a just, big chunk of the show. Well, I don't know how interesting I don't people, even know why you're listening Gundam to this is at all, super, <laughs> Gundam is super niche honey. Uh, super I'm, niche. I'm it's super one of the... If you, if, you, if you Google the top 20 highest grossing like franchises in the world 
Like no, number one is like Pokemon or something. Number two is Marvel. Number three is Star Wars or whatever. Gundam is number 15. Out of the number, I just read this on Wikipedia the other day. Out what? of like the franchises, global franchises that have made the most money in the history of the world, it's Holy. number 15. It's as, big in, it's, it's as big in Japan as Star Wars. It's often compared to Star Wars oh here. It's like the Japanese God, Star Wars. Really? I told you some of this before we started watching it, but I think you sort of flushed it out of your memory yeah. because you had no context for it yet. But it's, it's <laughs> often... That's cool. Okay. It, it's often, I take back it's what o- I said. It's often compared to the Japanese Star Wars in terms of like its cultural impact, the sheer breadth of the franchise Mythology. but also the sheer amount of money that the merchandise makes so wow. it's probably the closest analogy because star trek merchandise exists but it's not setting the world on fire you know what i mean you see people uh. all the time you see stores all the time with like stocks of star star wars toys oh the new star wars toys are made. people talk oh they're, they're finally yeah. making a statue of this nobody's like oh i got the new captain picard action figure i had a captain picard action <laughs> figure but <laughs> i think awesome. i was the only one you know what i mean oh, wow. um anyway Okay. So it is a big deal, but there'll wow. be a link in the show notes if you don't know what we're talking about. Anyway. Okay, that's awesome. Well, So so for the first time in I think a while, these are not multiple choice or true or false. These are just open-ended questions. So you're free <laughs> to get these as wrong as you possibly can. Yay! And probably will. Okay, right. I'm ready. Number one. Yeah. In what year of the Universal Century calendar is the series set? Ooh, 0079. 0079. That's right. Cool. <laughs> Num- number two. What is the name of the small spherical robot created by Amaro? Oh, no. I literally asked you this this morning. Is this why you didn't didn't tell me? What? That's just cruel. Oh. (laughs) I asked you this this morning. That's just mean. Mm. What if I give you a hint? Yes. It starts with H. I I thought it started like Halo. Um. You're close. I could say something very impolitic right now if I wanted to. Um, I know. Do you give up? Yeah. It's Haro. Haro. I was really close. I All right. was really close. Number three. All right. Aside from the Gundam, what are the two other new mobile suit weapons developed on Side 7 and taken aboard, wi- taken aboard White Base at the start of the series? Oh, um, the... Gundo Cannon? Gun, Gundo Cannon. I don't know. Gun what Cannon. Was, gun Cannon. And the, um, like the, the tank thing. Which would therefore be called the... Gun Tank. Correct. All right. I mean, they, they're consistent in their naming, naming conventions, at least. You wouldn't really, you don't, you shouldn't really have to reach for that one. Yeah. All right. Number four. Yeah, I got that one. Name two members of the Zombie family. Oh. Um, Garma and... Correct. That was uh, the easy one because that's yeah. kind of the most memorable. Well, at least the name they say the most. And Kaisili. Kaisilia, but I'll give you that one. There's also Girin, which is, you know, and, the, the, the Hitler type. And um, you know the name of the four. Uh, or you could say their father, too. Yeah, so I yeah, guess yeah. there's five possible was, ones you could name. I was thinking of their father. The, the great, what's his name? Deco Deacon. De, I don't know. Deco Deacon. I don't know. Degwin Soto's out. Degwin. Yeah. And then there's Dozel, which was like the big bear of a mm-hmm. guy with a scar. And technically, you could have said his daughter Mineva, if you're, because technically she's a zombie also, right? Oh she's, yeah, she survives. So technically, there is a surviving zombie. Yeah, out there. exactly. That may or I may was not wondering. Off later. I was about to say. I was actually thinking of that when we were watching um, Gundam Zeta this morning. Yes. <laughs> All right. How geeky we are. So yeah. num- number five. Yeah. What is the name of the Zeon stronghold where the final battle of the series takes place? Sorry, one more time. What is the name? Yeah. Of yeah the uh-huh. Zeon stronghold. Okay. It's an asteroid base where the final battle of the series takes place. Luna two. Uh no. 
That wasn't the final battle? I thought they went back to Luna 2. Um, okay, so then, no. So then... It's three words. Solemn? No, that was the penultimate battle took yeah, place at Solomon. They, yeah, Solomon fell. Um, and then they went to... They did say it a lot, although it's a very strange name. No, I don't know. Abawa Ku, remember? Three words? A space, Bawa space, Ku? Yeah, no. I thought that was the name of a ship. Okay. That was, no, there's no way you or thought that at the time. It would be impossible no, to make that mistake. I have, yeah, did, you say you think, did you say you thought it was the name of a dog? A ship. Oh. A well, dog. Then you, <laughs> well, then you said a dog, didn't you? No. So it was a ship or a dog. No. You no, did. No, Rewind no. the tape. You might, have said a do- you might have said a dock, but I thought you said a dog. A dock. Yes, I did. I thought it was like a landing platform dock or coup. something. I don't know. On, on <laughs> a bow to his friends. I, I know. Ha-ha. All right. Number six. <laughs> yeah. What injury does Shar sustain in his final duel with Amaro? Oh, okay. Somebody got. Although calling it an injury is perhaps overselling it. Yeah. But it does leave a mark, so to speak. Oh. Huh. Funny. Yeah. Okay. I I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's through his mask he gets stabbed right in the forehead. Right, and you notice he's got a scar there in Zeta Gundam. Did you notice that? I did not know. Yeah. Because he was wearing those ridiculous sunglasses for most of his scenes. Or some not sort when of he's face not when he's wearing the his his, his spacesuit and you mm. can see his whole face under the visor you can see he's got a little scar there oh, so it must have been a pretty notice, deep cut yeah deep cut yeah All right. that's it so you got let's see you got one I got uh, four out of two, six three if I give you the Kaecilia one you should give me the Kaecilia one because I could have kept on going yeah you got four <laughs> you got four to six that's pretty good yeah good job thank you all right so shows. So we have two episodes of Star Wars Resistance. We have a new short track. We have Doctor Who and we have Harley Quinn. Yep. Spoilers be warned. So Star Wars Resistance, I can I can kind of see why they aired these two together, although it doesn't really seem like they needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but these were The New World and No Place Safe. I, I always want to say No Safe Place. Doesn't No Safe Place sound like a better title yeah. than No Place Safe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, huh. So they. So I've seen a lot of... Comp- I've seen yeah, one. it should be No Place Is Safe. And that's That's a little... That's starting to get a little... Deep. A little wordy. Right. But I mean, if you're going to It's a little structure... overly precise. Well, yeah. There's a, cer- there's a certain poetry to saying no place safe. I no can, I can safe a certain lyrical to quality to it, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. Um, so I've seen comparisons of this to the new Caprica arc on Battlestar Galactica, where they, they say, oh, this will be a new safe place to, to live yeah. and, and put down roots. And then... And then half one, of... <laughs> you know, the, by the, the very next episode, the enemies have found them. They've got to leave the place again. Yep. Um, so that's basically the whole plot. I mean, they befriend uh, Queen Lucy Lawless and her mer people mm-hmm. um but the first order comes and attacks and they've all got to leave yeah not really much, not really not really a lot to say about it. i mean th- these were good episodes i mean i kind of thought i mean they've got only a few episodes left so i thought that they would actually stay on this planet and this would be like where their final stand takes place but i guess they're yeah. they're off again so it doesn't really feel like it had really that many lasting repercussions well they have interesting character development so first we yeah learn there's more some about, interesting yeah character they're, development. we learn more about griff kaz's development is highlighted in, in yes. as much as he's like it's all well and good that we're safe here but i've got to i've got I to know, go find the resistance because right, exactly. i can't i can't I know just that you, sit around and not fight you know like yeah. when i know that what's out there um and not only that but what's coming like if it were just out there if you could shut it out that'd be fine but he knows full well that the war wherever they will go will always find them my only my only nitpick against that is that it's not quite the heroic selfless decision it seems in as much as he was 
he was a new Republic pilot before the show started. He wasn't like some, he, he's not like he's some civilian on the Colossus that's making the decision to go join the fight. Right. He was part of the fight already. He was already a pilot and a soldier who was given the specific mission to go to the Colossus. And now that mission is basically over. So yeah, you should go back and join the fight. That's what's expected of you. Yeah. It's not, so you know what I mean? It's not quite um, the, the self-sacrificing I thing. I suppose, yeah, I suppose. I mean, he could stay with the Colossus in, uh, for a little while longer at least and sort of make sure that they are safe for long, you know. But that's not really his mission. His mission no, was to find out what the First Order wanted with the Colossus. And he is he is somewhat helping the cause by keeping it out of the hands of the First Order. Right. But... It, it, it is, I feel, sort of incumbent upon him, especially if if he thinks the Colossus is now safe, right. to go back and resume his duties, right? Yeah. So it's not, you, you see what I'm saying? Right, but he's not a conscripted, okay. Uh, I, he's I a do member of the military. Yeah, but he's not a member of the... It would be desertion if he didn't go back. Right, and, but he, hmm. and now I, I guess he's not the, like a full member of the resistance. Well, I'll, I'll grant then, you that the resistance is not the same as the New Republic right. Navy, but it's sort of a distinction. Once the New Republic has been wiped out by the First Order, it's sort of a distinction without a difference. That's where everybody that's left to fight is going. True. So, True. and you know, Leia's there, Poe's there. You know, he certainly treats Poe as if he's di- his direct commanding officer oh he's right? such a poe fanboy so though. he's he's yeah, so happy i mean to <laughs> i i get what they're trying to do and it, you know it, it's effective it works but when you sort of break it down you're like yeah i feel like that's your job you should go back and do your job you know otherwise yeah. you're kind of a deserter um but we yeah, should also was, talk about tam yeah you don't want to well i mean <laughs> every time you think she's making some progress she's like hmm Maybe I should feel bad about being part of this xenophobic genocidal organization, but hey, I got a promotion. This is pretty sweet yeah, after all. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know you have such a short temper with her. Um, yeah, wow. not a lot of credit for her. But yeah, she's. So, I'm supposed to feel like she's got some sort of redemptive arc because she didn't immediately fire on, 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 on a longtime friend of hers. Right. <laughs> or his, her other longtime mentor's um, ship. Yeah. You know, be. I'm like, wow, she's a hero after all. No, no, not <laughs> she's, really. She's a traitor and a and she's I a traitor and sure, a coward now. I guess I thought for sure that she this was the battle where she was going to turn sides and that suddenly a tie fighter. No, because she doesn't know, even have because she doesn't even have. Oh, you mean she's going to yeah, become good again? That's what I thought. No, for that's sure. that's final that's episode. That's final episode material. Final. Yeah, well, the repercussions could have been very. Interesting I thought you were going. I thought you were going to say we only got how many episodes. Um, two more regular episodes and then a double length finale, I think, oh. or there might be only three total, either three or four total left. Still could have been interesting. I thought you were going to say you thought this was the episode where she fully commits to the first order and actually fires on Kaz. Oh no! no. And I was going to be, like, I was going to be like, at least then she would have. At no, least this then is a kid show. She definitely wouldn't. <laughs> at least then she's she's showing that she's picked a side. Like at least at least you know like if you at least have the courage of your convictions. Right. The problem is the 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 issue is that she's chosen to take part in this horrible organization. Yeah. And she know the problem is that she knows it's wrong. Yeah. And that she stays there anyway because she, because they're dangling like a shiny promotion in front. I know. Like if oh, she, you can fly. If she well. actually, <laughs> see, I I don't get this. I don't get this miffed over like Rucklin or yeah. General Hux yeah. or or Phasma or or um. Commander Pyre or whatever, because they're like true believers. Yep. They're evil. They're fascists. Yep. But at least they're like, look, I've picked a side and I'm going to do my job and I'm not going to whine about it, right? Yep. And and they don't they don't think what they're doing is wrong. Right. She knows what she's doing is wrong, but she's doing it anyway because she's getting some measly little. She's getting like some nice pats on the head out of it. It's just I know. pathetic. It really is. It's quite very pathetic. pathetic. At this point. I, it's very. Just, she's a despicable. I know, but unfortunately. <sighs> Well, I don't say despicable. I say sad. She's quite a tragic figure because this level of manipulation and lack of self-worth. They didn't and even also, have to manipulate I her really know, at all, barely. 
I know, I know. She's doing a lot of this to herself, it's all which her, is also all quite of her sad. own doing, right? Yeah, it's not. They barely had to like a, they a, a did child. Have a child to work could, for it in the beginning, anyway. But yeah, but no, now they got her in this. Kind of it's knows, sort of like an abusive relationship. She like even you, kind of knows that she was being right. Like she knows exactly. that they're, she, she could. Situation. She's smart enough yeah. to know that they're selling her a bill of goods. But she's so mad at her quote unquote friends that she's willing to go along with it anyway, which is which makes it all the worse. Like, right, but she she's knows now, what she's, if I they know. Tr- if they legitimately tricked her, that would be one thing. If she didn't know any better, I know, but she knows but she, better and she's doing it anyway. Yeah. That's what's so aggravating. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we've talked about this before. Um, <laughs> I still think because I mean st- statistically, <laughs> yeah. the odds of her being shot down, I know. either by one of the aces or in some other conflict that doesn't even involve the or Colossus. Even in a training session, because remember she was expected to let what's her name? But yeah, but she's, a really, she's supposed to be a really good pilot, so I buy that she's not going to die in some random training accident. But right, okay, but it, fair. the odds of her getting like there were ties getting shot down left and right in that battle. Yeah, that she could have been shot down by friggin' uh, or hi- taken down by hype by there or something, and nobody would Zeno even know. Warrior princesses lackeys. There. Nobody would even know. None of our right. guys would even know she was. Nope. In that cockpit, and they'd continue talking about her as if she's still out there somewhere, with no, none the wiser that she's rotting at the bottom of that ocean. I know exactly. <laughs> so you know what I mean, and, and I kind of feel like that would be what she deserves, you know. Like, but no, she's going to get some big redemption in the final episode. But if she chooses to be a grunt in this fascist organization, she's she's probably going to get blown out of the sky like a million other Tie Fighter pilots know, before her, right? I know. Yeah. It would be kind of dra- dramatic legacy, irony. Yeah. If she, yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you you really are hard on her. Okay, so Star Trek. So this was an interesting one. So this is a, a the new short track. Yeah, uh, it was great. That that Mars I, of had a, I had children. A, of Mars, Mars of children. Ugh, dyslexia is not fun. Planet, everybody. planet run by children. I like to um, talk backwards too. Yeah. So I had it vaguely in my head that the final short track of this batch was going to be a, a setup for the Picard show, but mm-hmm. I'm like. Is it is it really? Because then we saw the trailer for it, and it's like two schoolgirls being mean to each other. I'm like, is this really set up for Picard? Maybe I misremembered that, or maybe there's another one coming later that is. Um, but no, this ended up being that. I don't yep. know. This this I don't know. I feel like I should probably wa- watch it again before saying this. And I have liked a lot of these, but I think this might be my favorite one yet. What? It's 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 probably Not for me. it's probably Sorry. The, well, you still enjoyed it though. right? I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I could never put it above um, like for example the one with um, oh my god. Ren- not Renee Russo. What's her name? Renee Russo. I no, don't no, remember no, that no, one. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Um, she used to be married to John Stamos. Who? Uh, oh, are you saying the one with the yeah the in one the one elevator? Number one in Spock. Yeah, that was great. That was good. That was Here's... that was. I like that one a lot better than this one. That's so, my point. Like there are several that I really enjoyed above this. Yeah, one. Yeah, I like those two. I think the reason why I think it's a couple of things about this one. It was it was very different in as yes. much as it was basically silent. As in terms of very no di- basically no dialogue right. from the main characters, Correct. there were a couple of recorded messages that we heard for only a few seconds here or there. But for like the eight and a half minutes of runtime, there was maybe like ten or fifteen seconds of dialogue. Right, and ni- uh, and from neither girl. Right, and so yeah, only from like minor characters. Those actresses were well, really great. Good that, for them. That's, by the that's way. true. But before we before we right. like break it down, let me just say the reasons why I think sure. it was up there for me. So, um, so unique in that sense. Stylistically, very different. Like mm-hmm. to have a Peter Gabriel cover of a David Bowie song playing over the majority of the episode, totally unlike anything we've. I guess the closest thing you could say, and this is sort of off in its own thing because it's the JJ movies, but like the way the Beastie Boys song came up in a couple of the JJ Abrams movies. Do you not recall what I I'm talking no about? What you're it was the about. climax of Star Trek Beyond, and it was the scene where Kirk was driving the motorcycle as a kid. And yeah. the space cop comes and pulls him over. He's blasting that Beastie Boys song in his sure. in his uh, in uh, Greg Grunberg's car. Do you remember? That was Greg Grunberg's voice and the of his, of his stepfather over the over the the communicator in the car. Uh-huh. By the way, in, in uh, Star Trek two thousand nine. 
because um, it was a J.J. Abrams movie and he's contractually obligated to have Greg <laughs> Grunberg in there somewhere. Um, so, but just musically and, and obviously visually beautiful, but oh, I yeah. feel like all of these have been visually beautiful in their own way, the yeah. anima- animated ones and then those. Um, but just a really interesting look, really interesting music, interesting style as much as there's no dialogue. I felt like this one, a lot of the short tracks ha- I felt have have either taken a simple concept and sort of stretched it out to 10 minutes or have taken something that could be like a, a, B, a B plot and a whole, well, maybe not a film, but like at the very least like a B plot in a 45 minute episode mm. and crammed it down to nine or 10 minutes. Right. This one felt like ex- for, for the slower pace that they were going for, this felt like exactly right. It was exactly the right length. The pacing was excellent. You the, 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 when the big turn comes at the end, it hits you exactly the way that they wanted to. You're kind of pulled into the you moment. know, the drama between these yeah. couple of kids, the music climax is at exactly the right time to sort of get you to feel like the, the mm-hmm. conflict. And then it, you get the denouement and you get the, the everybody's kind of getting, I guess, <laughs> push Alerts. notifications <laughs> on their little communicators there. And they're like, oh, something bad's happened, right? Principal Vulcan's like, oh, something bad has happened. Yeah. And then they look up and there's the screens saying that... Um, I was unclear. I, it's probably a distinction without a difference, but I'm not sure whether they... It looked like they were. They certainly were attacking the surface of Mars. Yeah. I was unclear on whether the actual Utopia Planitia shipyards, which are not on Mars but are orbiting Mars, were also attacked. Um, I don't know. It just said Rogue Siths attacked Mars. Rogue Sith. Wrong franchise. Synths. Rogue Siths. Rogue Siths. Yeah, attack. That would have been a headline if the Sith were attacking. No, but that's all it said. Attack Mars, 3,000 percent right. dead. But we that's also it. saw like footage of... like explosions like massive right. bombardment on the surface of mars i was just unclear but it looked like some sort of a mining operation well sure presumably a... there was mining on on mars happening to provide raw materials for the construction of ships in orbit at the shipyards but just from like i don't know from a geeky perspective of like a star trek geek if they took out the shipyards mm. that'd be a big deal because that's where the majority of starfleet ships are assembled if they took out the shipyards that'd be a huge blow to starfleet whereas if they just bombed the surface Still bad. Probably a lot of people died. I think they said three thousand presumed dead or something right. like that. But from a from a military perspective, it wouldn't be quite the hit to their material. But you know? destroying the mining operation is almost as bad as destroying. Yeah, but there's the, the there's a lot of mines and Star- got- There's a lot of mines in Star Trek, though. We've seen a lot of mines and a lot of miners, particularly in the original series. Like every other episode is about Kirk coming to help out some miners on some random I know. crappy yeah. planet, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, just I, I was just curious. Where, it was unclear to me whether the actual shipyards were destroyed. I, I, just sort of a minor point. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like it was tonally, stylistically, pacing wise. It like it was like what would you would you could you would you add or subtract anything from this to make it better? I can't I can't think of anything. No, it, it was exactly cr- it was what, really tight. Exactly what it wanted to do. Yeah. Exactly the right way. And so there were a lot of the other short tracks um, had had like more good stuff in there, you know, and had more interesting new things that we'd never seen. But I don't think, I think you could look at like any other short track and say, do you need this line of dialogue? Because there were dialogue. And anytime there's right. like hundreds of lines of dialogue, you're like, do you really need this line or could this line be improved? Or like, do you need this like establishing shot or whatever? Like a really nitpicky stuff, right? Yep. But with anything, you could say, oh, I mean, add, I, don't, I can't think of anything you could add or subtract from this to improve it. I think this was... Exactly like for what they were trying to do, they accomplished it 100% perfectly. Whereas mm-hmm. with everything else, even if they were of greater ambition and were trying to do more things, that maybe they didn't hit all of those marks perfectly, you know? 
And right. so I feel like for what this was, this was perfect. Whereas I don't think I would say that about any of the other ones. So obviously that's subjective. And, it is subjective. But but and then there were th- there were moments in some of the other ones that I enjoyed more. But just for for what it was, I think this is like the perfect encapsulation. <laughs> this is like exactly what they and it's exactly what they should be trying to do because it's different, right? Like as much as I enjoyed the one in the turbo lift you were mentioning, yeah, that could be a couple of scenes from. A discovery episode or I something, guess. right? Like stylistically or pacing wise or in terms of the dialogue, you could you could slot that into and you know. But it was nice because it sets no, I, up. The... I know, but but it was it it did feel like scenes that you could have you could see in any other modern era Star Trek show. I this, guess this but you could it not would just rob, put in. It would be robbing it of the weight of the story. I I don't agree with that because if you put that into a longer episode, then it sort of gets brushed aside. No, I know. It, it wouldn't work. It's not the focal point of the episode. Whereas if it's in this short it wouldn't, format... It wouldn't work structurally. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying just like in terms of presentation, in terms of mm-hmm. the way it was shot, the way it was acted, the way it was scored, it looks like and sounds like and plays like an, an episode of Discovery just with on different sets and with different people, right? This doesn't play like any other Star Trek we've ever seen. This is something completely different, like the animations were, right? Yes. And so that I think that's why, you know, I really enjoyed those too, is yes. because this is something we've never seen. from. This is almost like a tone poem or something, or like yeah. like some sort of like I mean, Star it, Trek it, music video uh, almost. That's what I was about to say. Like it played out like a music video. It's like, really it's like, it's but like, it was really it's good. Like, it's like it's, it's a future Peter Gabriel wanted to put... <laughs> Want to do a, a, a music video for his cover of Heroes? This is this is what uh, future MTV would uh, right would would air. Yep. Yeah, and, and and you know then then just breaking it down, like obviously the performances from the the two girls were great. So yeah, the principal Vulcan I hope we there. see them later. I was telling you about this, and you mentioned uh, that'd be interesting if we yeah, see them later. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I haven't looked it up to find out. So Picard is still an admiral here, so right. he hasn't retired from Starfleet. So I'm guessing this is maybe. If if we're talking like a few years before, if, if Picard is set, well, probably more than a few. It's closer to Nemesis than Picard because if Picard is like fifteen years after Nemesis, he's supposed to have been retired for like at least ten, I think. So mm. this is maybe five years after Nemesis, and so we're by the time we get to Picard, it's close to, if not more than ten years after this, I think. Right. So these girls could I don't know how old are these girls like twelve, thirteen. Yeah. So they could be, yeah, but I mean... But that's what but, I'm saying. I agree with you, but but I'm saying, like, that would be that'd be a pretty big jump. But yeah, they, they could do that. And I, they could I, be friends in that. In the, like, we could see them as, like, you suggested, supporting yeah. characters. Because we know who the main cast I just of find, I is just, going to be. For some reason, I don't think they're going to do that. I think we've I got... Wonder. I think we've seen from trailers and interviews. I think we've got... A, and it's they've already got a pretty big cast. I think that... Yeah. I think that the way that this is going to play into Picard is exactly the way you would think. Which mm. is that the whole thing with the synths, which we can talk about in a second, is set up for one of the main... Con, uh, c- um, conflicts and some of the main world building that's going to happen in Picard and this is just there so the people who watch everything when the whole thing with the synths comes up in Picard will be like oh yeah like there there was that whole you know there was that whole terrorist attack basically 10 years ago right. and if Picard or someone says you know oh yes you know we've the synths have been illegal ever since ever since the tragedy on Mars or something like that all, all, all of us fans will be like oh right we remember that right I think that's all it's, all it's going to be so that if they have, if they have the sense in there, they can sort of shorthand it away because all the viewers will already know. Oh man, that was a, you know that was a big problem ten years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So we know from the trailers of Picard, there were a couple of shots in the various trailers of kind of android-looking guys with with like bald heads and like barcodes on their foreheads, basically. Yeah. Um, all looking identical, presumably all played by the same actor, just like digitally, mm-hmm. you know, duplicated in post, all standing there, you know, blank-faced. Um, 
wearing matching outfits of some kind. And so I think everybody was assuming like, does this have something to do with the Borg stuff? But maybe not. This is maybe just like, maybe Starfleet, you know what I heard on, I speculate on a podcast and I'd love it if they did this. I didn't even know if the actor was alive anymore. You know, hopefully he is. But do you remember the character Bruce Maddox? Does that name ring a bell? No. In the episode, um, oh God, what was it called? The best, the first, the first great episode of Next Generation, uh, Measure of a Man, that was it. The one where Data's on trial for yes. his uh, individuality. Oh, he yes. was the guy from the Starfleet, from, from, um, to... from the um, the Daystrom Institute, the one to come and basically like appropriate data and yeah. take him back and like, like study him, break and pull him, him down apart. and study him, yeah. right? Yeah. And they sort of come to an understanding at the end. And then later in Data's day, he's writing letters to him and telling him about you know mm-hmm. how he's how he's doing. Wouldn't it be interesting if after Nemesis they've got B four there, right? Yeah. B four has been has been given data's memories but it's unclear whether he'll actually be able to like incorporate them or whether he's just going to remain like a man child for the rest of his existence right um wouldn't it be interesting if um now the data is gone if like i don't know maybe i i doubt they're even going to name drop maddox let alone have him show up in picard this is such a deep cut but everybody's seen measure of a man right that's one of like the top 10 best star trek episodes if if maddox if like after data was gone maddox finally got his wish and he's able to get his hands on because B four is not. One could argue, one would have a stronger argument at least that B four is not a sentient being than with Data, right? Because he he shows far fewer signs of like advanced intelligence and individuality and everything, right? One could one could at least make that. That's I would, a horrifying well, argument. I, I really don't want to be thinking well, about well, he, that. But he but he made that argument already once before, right? Yeah, I and know. just because he was proven wrong and that didn't seem like he learned his lesson, maybe he didn't learn his lesson in as broadly applicable as way as, as one would hope, right? Ugh. So I just think it would be interesting if now that B four is all that's left, and right, and every man start, if Data hadn't sacrificed himself, the Enterprise and Earth would have been destroyed. It's super important that we have more of these guys, yeah. right? So they finally give permission to Maddox. To mass produce androids, he mm-hmm. gets he he gets his hands on B four, breaks him down, which is why Allison Pill has the B four parts in the drawer there yeah, in the trailers. Yeah. Creates these other androids based on him. Can't quite nail it because he's not a genius like Soong is, right? Which is why they don't quite look like Data, and they you know maybe they don't have the same capacity for advancement well, and yeah. individuality. They're more like I don't know Cylons Automatons, or whatever analogy yeah. you would want to use. Well, right? Cylons no, because Cylons are sent anyway. Sure, but the and the Centurions didn't achieve sentience until the final five gave it to him. But anyway, that's neither neither here nor there. But they're Lord. they're more they're more like they're more like you know drones, right? Yeah. Um, but something goes wrong, and turns out they're smarter than you thought. The age old thing from every sci fi story ever, right? Don't create an army of robots in your own image because they're just going to rise up and attack you, right? Yeah. Um, they don't have to name drop Maddox, but I do think broad strokes. I think the the We've seen B4 is broken down and put into storage. I'm guessing that after what happened in Nemesis, they either destructively or non-destructively try to copy B4 and they end up with these since since and that's what leads to this. Because yeah, we know that we know the data, think. we know that Brent Spiner is going to be in the show. We've seen that he's like data is like haunting Picard's dreams or something. Yeah, something so, going and, we, on. And, and and Patrick Stewart has said and I feel like he's sort of underselling because I feel like there's a third thing. But he said this is going to deal with two main threads, one of which is going to be the lingering um, like guilt and effects of Data's death and sacrificing himself to save Picard in Nemesis. Yeah. And the destruction of Romulus from the 2009 movie and like the basically the diaspora of the Romulans, you know, the, they're right. becoming an itinerant race. Um, I feel like he's he's not mentioning the Borg stuff, which yeah. has had a very big presence in the trailers with yes. Seven of Nine and Hugh and yeah. the Cube and everything. 
So I feel like we've got those three things. Yes. Um, maybe some of them are related. Maybe some of the Borg stuff has to do with the data stuff. You could kind of maybe see how that could one could sort of feed into the other. Yes. And there is precedent for that, of course. You remember that the hot minute where Lore was the leader of the Borg collective? Remember that? Or at yes. least that splinter group? Yep. Before Hugh, you know, there's another link, came and helped Riker and them, you right. know, break break that up. Um so yeah, I, I, it's it's super interesting, but I think that that's that's of all the stuff in the trailer, everybody's talking about the Romulan stuff. They're talking about the Borg stuff. They're talking about the returning next generation cast members. Like, oh, isn't it great to see Jonathan Frakes again? People haven't really been talking about those couple of shots of those creepy looking Android guys. But if this is any indication, that's going to be a bigger plot thread here than than we thought. Yes, it doesn't necessarily need to be the main plot thread. This could just be setting up one aspect of it. But I think it's interesting and and. I mean, you, you, you want to talk about piling on for Picard, right? Not only did he lose Data um, and Riker and Troy to a lesser extent because they leave to go take another assignment, right? Yes. Um, we know from the comics that I've been reading that he was basically put in charge of the evacuation of the Romulan Empire. But, you know, obviously when you're in that position, you can't save everybody, right? So if that mission was perceived as at least a partial failure, if, if you know, and maybe there's some tragedy where he was, you know, for whatever reason, he failed to evacuate some key planet and billions of people died or something like that. And the fact that like the legacy of one of his friends, Data, is perverted in this way to create like this. Because you remember his impassioned defensive Data, of course, in Measure yes. of a Man, right? Yes. But if all that's left of his friend is used to create like this slave race, basically. Yes. Like mm-hmm. and Starfleet is the one that does that. You could see you could see him resigning disgusted, and resigning yeah. in disgust, which mm-hmm. is basically what we know he did. Resign in disgust or disgrace or some combination of the two, right? Um and then it's set, and this the set, is what he was warning the set up for Picard. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and then the so. setup for Picard is exactly like this attack on Mars is exactly what he predicted yep. thirty years earlier, yep. right? Um, and then and then him coming back to Starfleet now, and we know from the trailers and from what Patrick Stewart has been saying that Starfleet, it's not like Starfleet will have gone bad, but he thinks that part of what is going to make this Picard show more relevant to the modern age in the way that Next Gen was maybe relevant to the '80s yes. is portraying the Federation in not to say that it w- won't still be a hopeful you know, positive future. Yes. But maybe taking in the same way that, you know, Deep Space Nine did and various other things, take a little bit of the sheen off of it, say it's not perfect and there are going to be times when they stumble and times where they go through rough patches where they're maybe not quite living up to their own ideals. Yes. So, and I could see the whole thing with the Romulans being part of that where what better analogy for the unfortunate modern political climate, it would be what if the Federation closes their borders to Romulan refugees. Right. And after Picard has done everything to try to save as many of them as possible from the destruction of the Romulan Empire, if now they be, if now they're like out there starving yeah. and without a home, because his people, the Federation, refused to admit them because yeah. of whatever. Maybe they're still licking their wounds after the Dominion War, or whatever, and like, oh, we don't have the resources, we don't have the place to put them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what better political analogy? You know, like, just talk about piling on yeah. the grief on top of this poor man, right? Yeah. And so he comes back now in Picard because this this girl, whoever she is, finds him, mm-hmm. and he. We've seen the scenes where he goes to talk to like this female Starfleet admiral or whoever, and he's like, you know, I feel like we need to do something for her. And she's like, remember the line from the trailer, this isn't your house anymore, Jean-Luc, or whatever, right? Like, he's supposed to be like the lone, maybe not the lone, that's hopefully, hopefully that's an exaggeration. But he's supposed to be like this voice that is still standing for what Starfleet used to stand for, but maybe they've forgotten, you know? And hopefully over the course of this show, he will, his example will serve to inspire Starfleet to hopefully recapture its past glory or whatever, yes. right? Although based on Discovery, season three of Discovery, hundreds of years in the future, 
Yes. Apparently, they take a Federation takes a bit of a hit, right? Because there's like very few stars on the Federation flag. Yeah. Seven hundred years in the future, or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, obviously a lot, a lot to talk about. But I've, I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about each episode of Picard because, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot to, especially in the first episode, there's going to be a lot to dissect, right? Like there's there's fewer there's few things in the world that I can talk about in as much detail as as Star Trek stuff. I mean, maybe DC stuff, but. I mean, when was the last time we got something that promises to be like as as new and as rich as this exactly. Picard series is? Like exactly. we get a new CW show or whatever, but I don't think it, there's not as much grist for, you know, analysis and debate. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the pilot of Batwoman. Like, could you sit and talk about that for three hours? <laughs> I'm sure somebody has, but yeah. I'm not sure that would be, that might be pushing it, right? But I could see like sitting down to talk about Picard and be like, oh, well, what about this scene? Wasn't it great to see this character again? And what do you think this means? And you know, why, why do you think Picard did this? I feel like we could, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun really breaking those episodes down. Exactly. In, a way that, in a way that we we talk about Discovery a lot, but because those characters are new to us and that setting doesn't carry as much weight for me as the 24th century, although maybe now we're even in the 25th. I'd have to do the math on that. Yeah, um, yeah I feel like we're going to, so two weeks from now, I guess we'll be doing a lot of talking about that. Next so. week, next week though, uh, probably the majority of our time we'll be talking about the conclusion of the crisis mm-hmm. and and going back and giving me my final score on the crisis predictions yes. that we had. Um, why don't we talk about Harley Quinn for Doctor Who? Because probably, probably I have more to say about Doctor Who. Harley Quinn, this was a fun one. This was called The Lion. So yes, this, is the this big, was I, great. He says this is the big Queen of Fables episode. Yes. Um, Queen of Fables played by Wanda Sykes. Mm-hmm. And then we get a fun little Phil, Phil Lamar cameo Appear- here too. Appearance, yes. Basically doing his <laughs> John, so basically good. doing his John Stewart voice. Um, kind of, yeah, a little um, bit. I which mean, isn't that different from his Malefic voice? It's like he's got he he he's got a well, million voices. He does, but, but his deep authoritative voice. There's a lot of commonality there. That's true, but I. That's not fair. I don't think this that's sounded, fair. This sounded exactly like you can just tell because because it, because it's Phil Lamar's voice. Like yeah, that's but there you go. You hear him play His Static or something. Who's like a fifteen year old kid? And you you like is that Phil Lamar? That, I can't really hear it. Yeah, yeah. But. You know, when his bring his baritone out, you can. I know, but I think it was part of it. Part of it was absolutely meant in farce. Like that's part of the magic of this show is that it conveys so much. Well, he was playing sort of an over the top. Absolutely, he was very much over the top, and that's why he was with the booming voice and the declarative sentences. Every single word was a statement and a and a story, and everything was really bombastic and stretched out and everything. Yes, superhero. But anyway, um, so. That's that's why. So, <laughs> but this was a lot of fun, and again, I, I like great. how they have character development in there because not only I mean, Poison mm-hmm. Ivy Every is episode. kind. Of, Poison Ivy is kind of again the romance slash comedy subplot with her um, burgeoning Kite relationship Man. with Kite Man. But um, oh yeah, but here, nice. Har- but here Harley um, gets the gets the development where this you know, and it's been evidenced before. It's not new information, but that she has this line that she won't cross mm-hmm. where. And, and it's news ver- to her. And there's versions of Harley where she does stuff that's oh, like, yeah. just as despicable as the Joker does. She just Almost goes definitely. along with everything he's doing. And one could argue that was like the original conception of her. She was never really conceived as being a sympathetic character. She right. was perceived as being his sidekick, a lackey. right? Sure. Um, but God, that was almost 30 years ago. I Do you know. believe that? I know. <laughs> um, the character will cool. be, I'm not sure if she premiered in 92, if she was in the very first, I mean, she was in the first season, but the first season was 60 episodes long. I'm not sure if she premiered in the first year of the show, but if she did in two years, it'll be 30 years. years. Yeah. She's, the character's 28 years old now. Cool. That's crazy. Um, that's all but, right. But yeah, cool. she has this line that she won't cross. And that I think Poison Ivy sums it up well here, where she says, you're a bad guy, but you're a good person. Yeah. Which is as good a summation of the character as I think you Nailed can get. Nailed it. Like, she'll do bad things. Mm-hmm. It's And I feel like it's right out of the current comics, too. Like, she'll do crazy madcap things, and she'll, like, leave a trail of bodies behind her. Oh, but yeah. Usually people that it could be argued deserve it. 
Yeah. And she won't go... She Like, sometimes innocent people will die as, like, as a result of her stuff, and she won't necessarily lose sleep over it. But she doesn't... She, she doesn't... It's not malicious or any sort of schadenfreude or right. any sort of gleeful, she would, maniacal, she never intends. Sadistic, to, she never intends to hurt yeah. innocent people or kids or animals or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she, she's got a big heart. She wants to play fair. She's got a big heart. And she'll go too far sometimes and, you know, cause a lot Mostly. of mayhem and destruction. But she never sets out to hurt people who, you know, aren't yeah. also hurting people. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the, I don't know, it's a bad analogy, but it's kind of like the mob in a way, right? Where, like, right. Theoretically, good... theoretically, you have a certain code where if you're going to, like, order a hit on someone, it's usually someone who's also in the life, right? So they knew what they were signing up for, but right. you wouldn't necessarily put out a hit on, like, some a random some bus whatever. driver, right? right like, right. that would be seen as being Cor- over the line. Yeah, corrupt judge, sure. Some supermarket clerk that saw too much, uh, maybe unfortunately, but even that would be, like, an unfortunate thing. But um, But somebody who didn't have it coming? Nope. Right. Um, so Doctor Who this yeah. week. So this is part two of Spyfall. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think Very this is. Good. I think this is really good. So um, I, they Very kind of there's good. there's still elements in there of the James Bond sort of homage, mm-hmm. pr- particularly with the gadgets and some of the stuff. But we kind of we move away from that more here, and it becomes more of a traditional Doctor Who story. Yeah. But but one that I still feel like is very good. I feel like this two-parter is some of the best stuff I think we talked about last week. I'm not sure I'd still put it up there with a couple of the historicals from last season, but I think this is easily the best, like, sci-fi story mm-hmm. that yes. they've done in this era. Um, you know, the stuff that the laser shoes stuff was funny. <laughs> it was I, funny. In listening, in it, listening, was, it was cute because it was definitely like they were working within the capabilities. Like suddenly the companions weren't, you know, super duper thinker, puzzle solver, martial artists, ma- ma- magical sort of Mary Sue's in any way, shape or form. They were still the people that didn't read the instructions for the cool gadgets before they got them. But somehow they found, figured out how to make right. them work. But they, the theme here, which is, you know, has been a theme so long as the series has existed is that the doctor inspires their companions to to be better right yeah. so as soon as they're they're in the situation and there's no hope and it seems like there's no way out and they could be forgiven for just trying to like run away and hide yes their first thought was like well what would the doctor do right yeah and so that's you know that's really nice but they were they were on their own and they were able to have their own adventure by themselves and also I don't know. It's just kind I mean, of they survived. Like, it was All nice. they really succeeded in doing was getting to the spot where the doctor then met up with them later and actually solved the problem, right? Because she had yeah. to walk in and use her, her, her yeah, but crazy they were science. clever. Yeah, but they were clever about they it. They were resourceful and clever Very in surviving yeah. and getting to the right place. But exactly. it's not like they actually they didn't really contribute much in terms of solving the actual problem. But that's okay. The companions don't always have to do that. Um, and the doctor goes off on her own thing. Yeah, I guess that's where true. Where she's, she's stranded in time and she meets up with Ada Lovelace, one of the yeah. early pioneers in computing. So amazing. Um, and then she meets up with, um, Noor, I don't remember Noor. her middle name, but Noor Khan. Mm-hmm. At first I was going to wonder, are they going to like try to say that y- uh, Yaz is descended from her or something? Oh, Lord. That might be a little weird because obviously it's a common surname in that part of, in, in that ethnicity. Yeah. And this is an actual historical figure we're talking about. Yes. Saying your fictional character is descended from this actual heroic historical figure is maybe a little weird i could see not blaming them, them for doing that but the doctor meets up with these two prominent pioneers yep you know female historical figures and sort of teams up with them as temporary companions to uh to fight back against the master one thing i do agree that that i've heard people say about this one it's a little strange is that the i don't remember the name of the character but the the sort of ceo like the, the steve jobs type 
a CEO oh, in the Vore? modern day? Yeah. The head of Vore. The I mean, head his of name Vore. wasn't John Vore or something. Um, but yes, the, the name of the company, yeah. What is it, Braxton like or Bradley Braxton or, or something Dalton like that? Braxton or something yeah. like that, yeah. He kind of just disappears, right? He gives his big yeah. Bond villain speech where he's like, whoa, we're going whoa, to turn whoa. you all into hard drives. And then he walks off stage. Format you. And then the whoa, doctor ha, ha. thwarts his plan. He's not there. And we don't, don't see him again. He, when he walks off stage after delivering his evil speech, he's not seen what again after happened? that. Yeah. So is he going to come back or was that just it? It feels like we could have used, he could have been there at the very least in that warehouse for the final scene. There was another point thwarted. that you actually He's mentioned. thwarted in absentia. It just seems like kind of weird. <laughs> exactly. There was another point that you mentioned, which was um, even though it was great to see these two powerful figures of history um, on screen and it was fun for the doctor to team up with them and then, you know, return them to their respective timelines after she figures everything out. Um it really didn't make a lot of sense that they would be hunted by the light people. I was unclear on why these pioneers of the, computing history yeah. were being targeted by the, what was it? The I'm trying to remember Calif- as well. Califax? Calif- I was going to say Califax too, but that's not it. It was something like that. There's <laughs> something with two A's in the middle. Anyway, what, but why were they doing that? Like if they're going to yeah. turn all, of hu- all humans in 2020 into hard drives anyway, why were they? Because were they trying to change history? But no, they don't want to change history because they're just attacking now, right? Right. Well, they're spying yeah. on people throughout history because right. the whole thing is like they're alien spies. Yeah, planted but, throughout the entire time stream so maybe they, in different so, parts but, of the uh, world. So these women weren't in danger; they were just being right. Maybe I, I don't. So I, mean, I, I didn't. Follow, I feel only, like there might be an explanation there if I go back and watch it again. Maybe it just blew past me. Right. Oftentimes, think, there's stuff in Doctor Who where if you think about it too much, it doesn't really make sense. I'm thinking these uh, these um, spy cells were set up more randomly before the interference of um, the master who was controlling them and suggested to them that they follow the people oh, so who you did think the computers spying, so that they would learn on and about manipulating these historical figures might have been that? part of their original plan. No, not original plan. That's what I'm telling you is that they would they 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 started spying on them as part of the updated plan in order to learn more about what, what computers end? so they could follow the thought processes that led to modern computing Why so would that they, they would understand they've, they've already how got, to wipe hard they've already got the like guy that, that know. knows everything about modern computing That's exactly as part it. of their evil team I'm telling you the only thing that I can think of is that but because uh, otherwise it really doesn't make any sense but I mean knowing how knowing how Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created a really simple circuit board in 1980 whatever mm-hmm. is not going to help them you know, tap into the inc- infinitely more complicated modern systems that they need to do to enact their evil plan. It doesn't help them at all. They'd be like saying, oh, we need to learn how a rock works or how fire works if I know, in but it's caveman only- times if we're going to like steal the space shuttle. No, like <laughs> you can get from A to B in terms of technological advancement, but you don't need to understand right. the really primitive thing in order to understand the more complex thing. That's the harder part. Yep. Anyway, that doesn't really make much sense. I actually really like the portrayal um, of Ada Lovelace because they mentioned in quick passing obviously her parentage but also they mentioned that uh she she had been experiencing this sort of falling sickness or whatever from uh from the age of 13 or so and that's around the time that the actual ada loveless um was diagnosed with at the time some sort of reoccurring illness that the doctors oh, couldn't figure out. Oh, did she actually out. have she a actually chronic had, illness? I didn't know she that. She had chronic illnesses, yeah, when she was growing up, and, and they plagued her throughout her life. Hmm, I didn't know that. Um, and she actually died early as did, a result. Did you know that the... Were you familiar with the Nurkan character? The first, no, the first actually fem- I didn't. What was the distinction? The first female operative, like, embedded in a foreign country yeah, to she conduct was, espionage? Yeah. Was that, I mean, that's not the exact words, but it was something along those lines. She, she was actually, a spy. She, well, yeah, she yeah. was a spy, well, but I'm trying to think what was her distinction. She was the first female spy that was embedded in a foreign country or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, they actually filmed 
something which wasn't included in the final episode, she actually met a tragic end also. She was betrayed only a year or two after the events of this episode by um, by a, like someone that she thought was on her side. Turned out it was a double agent oh, no. for the Nazis or whatever. Yeah. She was betrayed and like put up for a firing squad a couple of episodes, a couple of the years after this. And they filmed that scene. <gasps> But they decided not to include it in this episode for whatever reason. Maybe they felt like it would be sort of antithetical to this more hopeful note that the doctor returns them to their time and they're going to go on to live, yeah. you know, great yeah. lives and do great things. Maybe it would have undercut. Well, it seems like it would have undercut that. Well, somewhat. both of them didn't have very much time well, left when they got I returned mean, to their timelines. That's, that's the way it goes for a lot, a lot yeah. of a lot of women throughout history, right? Yeah. As they um, live short lives. <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. But but so at the end, we get a couple of interesting things. So the doctor says, the master says to the doctor that he's been to Gallifrey and it was basically a burned yes. husk. And we're like, oh, that's that's really interesting. And so at the end, the doctor goes there and confirms what he said. Right. Um, and then, you know, stumbles back into the TARDIS in shock. And then I guess triggered by proximity or whatever, um, a little hologram of the master shows up and he admits that, he was the one that destroyed Gallifrey. Right. And he did it because um, out of revenge for some deep, dark secret of the Time Lords that he learned that has to do with her and has to do with what he refers to as the timeless child. And you may or may not remember, but this is not the first time we've heard that phrase. It actually popped up in, in a sort of offhandedly in an episode last season. So Chibnall has apparently been planning this. Whatever this means, this this was a phrase that was thrown at the doctor by like some some you know some mysterious aliens or something last season during mm-hmm. an unrelated episode, and it she you know it seemed like it shocked her to hear it, like it yeah. affected her, like yeah. she knew what it meant or at least you know that it was something. It triggered important. something, yeah. Um, so so this is so this is interesting. Now, a few things to say about this. One is I've seen people say that this goes some way towards justifying the master's return towards evil after his redemption as Missy. Because if, even after regenerating into Sasha Dewan, if he was still mostly like on the side of good, but learned some evil, horrible secret of the Time Lords, I mean, he's never been the most, even when he was quote unquote good for those five minutes as Missy, he was never the most stable of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that could that could have been enough to push him over the edge, you know, drive him mad again, and he commits this horrible act, right? So it's not at least it's not just saying, oh, he regenerated now he's evil again. If he regenerated, was kind of like, eh, what will I be this time? And then he learns this horrible secret and decides to get revenge. I can right. I can kind of buy that. It, at least it's not quite the jump of saying, oh, he was good now he's evil again. I didn't really need an explanation for that, but if you need one, there's at least a precipitating factor here. Um, two what was two. Two is, I think it's interesting that now it's something that they kind of have in common because for a lot of years in the new series, the doctor blamed, what's the proper pronoun here, <laughs> himself, themselves, for the destruction of Gallifrey during mm-hmm. the Time War. Yes. And now the man is like, well, well, you can destroy Gallifrey. I can destroy Gallifrey <laughs> even worse, right? Although yeah. technically the doctor did it worse because the whole planet was destroyed. Yeah. Was here he just burned it. Um, so I think it was... So it's, Well, the it, master did kill everything. Sure, but the planet itself is intact. Oh, I fine. feel like it's That's, not quite as dramatic no. as blowing up the whole planet. Um, That's a distinction without a difference. So, the entire population is erased, and everything has been all but decimated to dust. So, so but I, so I'm not. So it's an interesting. It's it's interesting for a few reasons. A, obviously, it makes the master like even more of a reprehensible figure, and it wants oh, sure. us, the audience, like, oh, go get him, doctor. Um, it's it's interesting in as much as we learn that there's the secret. 
that mm-hmm. that precipitated this, like some lie at the heart of Time Lord society or something. And obviously, we want to know what that is. It's interesting yeah. that the Doctor either knows what it is already, or or at least knows that phrase is associated with some dark secret. And like maybe it she's triggered gonna... something though. Didn't you see the little tiny warp edit in there? That some sort of it felt felt like an unlocked memory. Well, there was there was a brief shot of the scene from last season that I mentioned where this ah. phrase was thrown out. She yeah. was being beset by like shadowy alien figures. Yeah, yeah. And that was a scene from last season. When when that phrase was last thrown out. Ooh. I think there might have also been other cuts, though. I'm not sure. But I think there was at least one uh, cut to that, just to remind attentive viewers that yes. are like, oh, that's right. That was because I heard that phrase. I'm like, have I heard that before? And then they had that shot. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's from last season. So the only reason why this, I think it's a cool setup. Obviously, it was played well, written very well. The only reason why this doesn't fully work for me is it kind of feels like been there, done that. Because the whole the whole new series kicked off with the notion that the Time Lords were gone, that Gallifrey had been destroyed. It was a major defining thing for the new series, right? Yes. And it took the Doctor multiple incarnations to feel like they had, I don't know, atoned for that and then ultimately correcting it, right? Mm-hmm. But the, dealing with, you know, the Ninth Doctor was defined by his guilt over what he had done in the Time War. The Tenth Doctor was still carried a lot of that rage and resentment and guilt around. You know, it was like they said in the 50th. They, and then the 11th Doctor seemingly was sort of like gallivanted around, and but it seemed like a sort of even even more... Even, it wasn't that... It was kind of like denial on top of denial. Like what was it someone said in the, the 50th, I forget what character it was, referring to the 10th and 11th Doctors in succession, the man who regrets and the man who forgets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is such a Stephen Moffat line. Um, <laughs> and then the tw- what, what was cool about the 12th Doctor is that by in the 50th, the you know all the doctors teamed up to save Gallifrey, and now in the twelfth Doctor, you got someone who was who no longer was encumbered by that guilt, no longer was encumbered by you know at first he was like this really stripped down Doctor, right? With no sentiment, mm-hmm. no you know no friends, no seemingly at first at the beginning like very not even really any empathy, yeah. um, perhaps no conscience mm-hmm. and and no guilt, right? This is someone stripped down to the bone. This is like the 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 essential minimalist doctor, right? All that guilt is gone. All the but so is most all, everything else. All the affectations, all the humor, all that is gone, right? Like he's he's because it's the first re- it's the first regeneration of a new regeneration cycle. He's the exact same. It was perfect symmetry, right? He was the same age as William Hartnell was when he was the first doctor. We got an old sort of professorial doctor for the first time since yep. the classic series. The yep. first of a new regeneration cycle, and all the baggage that he'd accumulated over the previous seven seasons was gone now because yep. he'd saved Gallifrey and he remembered that he'd done that and he didn't need to be weighed down by that anymore, yes. right? But it was it was like seven or eight years of the new series yes. where that was like a defining thing. Gallifrey was gone and the Doctor was responsible, right? Then we had a few years of Gallifrey was back. We saw it once or twice. Yes. And now it's gone again. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like it's an interesting story, but the, Gallifrey was off the board for so long that there yeah. were so many interesting story possibilities in having it back in play again. Right, right. Every time the 12th Doctor went there for a little bit, like, I want to see more of this, right? Like that that awesome episode where he went back to the same, like, barn out in the middle of the desert. Yeah. His old childhood home yeah. that the war doctor had gone to. Yep. Like, those were some great scenes. And then, you know, had that general character on the on Gallifrey that regenerated into a woman. And that was, like, the first time we'd seen that happen oh, on yes, screen. Do you remember that? Right. The whole thing where they went down to the catacombs of Gallifrey because he was trying to find a way to save Clara. Do you remember all that? Yes. Um, and what, you know, even if we don't see more scenes in Gallifrey, generally, you know, and we've talked about with comics and retcons and stuff, generally I'm not a big fan of like taking things off the board. 
Yes. Like the, you've got this expansive sci-fi world where you can go anywhere and do anything. Why limit your storytelling possibilities? Now, if Chibnall has, a, like, when Davies destroyed Gallifrey or, mm-hmm. you know, said that Gallifrey had been destroyed and in in some adventure we hadn't yet seen, he had a specific story to tell, and that was the Ninth Doctor, you know, pulling himself up from the pits of despair and through his adventures with Rose sort of becoming a, a, a full person again. And then he yes. regenerates into David Tennant, and that was like his arc, right? Like he's he's sort of come up, of that pit of despair and he's able to he's finally able to live again he regenerates into this guy that's all about the joie de vivre right even though some of it was kind of an act um and so we've he had a specific story in mind that he wanted to tell now chibnall presumably has a very specific if if, you know he has been hinting at it since last season presumably has a specific story he wants to tell with this i just feel like it's gonna have to work pretty hard to be a story that's not repeating itself you know what i mean like it's, it's different, I suppose, because this isn't going to be a story about the guilt the Doctor carries about destroying Gallifrey. This is going to be a story about the mysterious lie at the heart of Time Lord society and why the doc, why the Master felt it necessary to destroy it. So it is a different story. But, I mean, nevertheless, it is a destroyed Gallifrey, right? It's like, it's like the Aquaman thing where there's two Aquaman stories, right? There's a story of him claiming the throne and then there's a story of Atlantis being decimated and him being cast out from Atlantean society and he's got to he's got to figure out what he's going to do with himself now and then ultimately Atlantis is rebuilt and he comes back and he reclaims the throne to save it from an evil usurper be it Orm or King or Corrin Wrath or whoever right Mm -hmm. and then he gets cast out of Atlantis again and and he's got to like and then a few years later it's like oh man the return to Atlantis it's the same it happens every time like every Aquaman story is either is either him being exiled from Atlantis or Atlantis being destroyed or him returning to Atlantis in in glory to save it from itself or for some from some usurper, right? Mm-hmm. It's the only two Aquaman stories that are ever told, seemingly. And I feel like we're, we I don't want to get into that same loop here, where it's either like, what destroyed Gallifrey? How do we re, how do we can we save Gallifrey? Like, don't don't just ping pong between those two, right? Like, right. We've said we've said last last week about how we wanted this season to take more risks and mm-hmm. be more like even if you don't the swing for the fences, even if you don't connect every time to swing for the fences, exactly. Right? This is a ballsy move, definitely. Yeah. You know, if nothing else, it's ballsy to repeat yourself <laughs> to repeat yourself so brazenly, right? Right. To 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 be very simplistic about it. So it is ballsy, and you know, definitely he's got an an interesting new story to tell. Right. Um. But I I don't know I'm I'm so I'm of two minds about it. So it did those moments that you know, the tragedy that we were seeing, and the doctors you know, despair and everything didn't land for me as, as it was intended to fully because I'm sort of thinking, man, again, like, didn't we just, didn't we just do this? Right. You know what I mean? How, right. how did that, how did that work for you? Were you fully caught up in it in the moment or? Did, I was, you? I was pretty caught up in it. I was kind of bummed that we didn't. I was like, oh, I haven't seen Gal. Oh, oh, it's a, that's Yeah, a we shame. literally saw it like twice. After <laughs> the, we literally saw it like twice. After I was like, the oh, well, he got to enjoy that for all of two seconds or I should say they or well, who knows how long it's been relatively <laughs> right, for the right. doctor since then. But yes, exactly. sure, for us, the audience, it's only been, I mean, I guess it's been six or seven years, but still, Gallifrey existed for, let me do the math in my head now, like, like, um, how long between when Doctor Who started and when, between, between when Doctor Who started and the new series established that Gallifrey was destroyed, it was like 42 years, 43 years, something like that. And then it was gone for seven or eight. And yep. then it was back for like, six yeah tops 
five or six years tops now it's gone again yeah so you know what i mean it just that's, feels like that that's a little ping pongy too especially since but i do i do like the way that they told the story in fact my favorite part of this episode was really towards the end when she was having a scene with uh the master who was sort of doing steeple fingers um, uh, monologuing through a hologram but at the same time there was such vulnerability and connection that you really get a sense for their relationship like they've known each other for so long that they know each other's ins and outs they know how to push push each other's buttons specifically the master takes such glee out of it his uh, latest incarnation is really you know mm, delighting in the chaos and but at the same time, there's, there's, there's a base language that the two of them speak that nobody else. Yeah, in the there was a lot going on in that scene. Speaks. There was him. It was, there was gloating. Oh, really good. There was gloating. There was also sort of like a commiseration. Like a fraternal like, even though he was the one that killed them yeah. all, they were. He was still like mourning. There was almost was still like a shared. He was like he wanted to, even though it was like pre-recorded, I guess, right? Yeah. So it doesn't, of course, in not really real time no, doesn't but, really work as well. But no. But he kind of wanted to like share his grief with her, even yes. though he was the one that did it. There was yeah. definitely that aspect of his performance where he's like, I want us to be united in this grief, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And he also Like wanted, it had to be done. If he was <laughs> just so in chaos, he would have just done it and not explained himself. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there's enough of a connection there, enough history that he wanted to let her know. He felt like he owed it to her to tell her why and also so that she could get some, on board. some closure, some closure. On it. and the truth like he wanted to share what truth he found yeah. and in his um, twisted way he was bringing her not just the truth but also a sense of justice but he wants her to know he but did. he wants her to know the truth for a lot of reasons too right he wants her to know that if it's a hard truth then he wants her to know it because it'll hurt her to learn it yeah and he wants her it wants to hurt her but he also wants them to be able to share in, in, the in the pain of knowing it because you know he's what I mean? clearly in pain like yeah. the, he teared up in two different scenes about what it was that he was bottling up inside that was messed up well that's that's why i think like i haven't seen a lot of the classic stuff but i think that one of the reasons why the master doctor stuff works so well in the new series is because mm. they were the only two left and like the, yes. what what irony that the only other time lord to survive the time war is was it? the worst of them yeah. right but even in his desire to like kill the doctor and like destroy everything they cared about, there was still enough of like they were that was that was what united them was the fact that they were the only two left. And so there was always a sense of like you know, like they they, they like a bond, a bond between them. Yeah, that they, they were the only two that knew what it was like to lose their race. Yeah. And so there was always a shared level of like understanding mm-hmm. in, in, their, in their relationship, even when erased. even when he was trying to kill them. Yep. Yeah, and and all of that was there in that. It's a really good, too. profound yeah. relationship. It's a really interesting dynamic, and I I really 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 enjoy the performance because he was really vulnerable and raw in those moments, and then he was able to so elegantly transition into the maniacal bad guy again. But you felt the truth in both those emotions. It's. Well, those, very, very those are the those are the, those are the best villains. Like I'm trying ah, to I was, so while you were talking, I was trying to think of like, is there like a really good An analogy equivalent. from comics or something I could think of for Star Trek? But I mean, the best the best villains aren't just the ones that like want to just destroy everything yeah. for evil. You know, even if they have an understandable. Look at Sinestro and Hal, Hal Jordan. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, it, not only does Sinestro have, I mean, he's evil, but not only does he have like somewhat understandable motivations when you get into his backstory, right? but there's also a, a history and connection logic. and shared respect yes. between the two characters. And, and they, they want to, 
they each they each they don't want to destroy the other so much as they want to show the other that they're that Wrong. they're well how how does it <laughs> want to kill sinestro how wants sinestro to to be see to see himself the way that hal sees him like you yeah. could be a hero again and sinestro is like i've always been the hero it's everybody right. else is trying to stop me from doing the right thing i want you to see that Right, they're trying right. to convince the other that they're right yeah. instead of like trying to kill the other. And right, those are right. often the most interesting, you yeah. know, hero-villain relationships. Yeah, um, agreed. And that's what, that's what makes – this is the, the, the master kind of wants to show the doctor the, all these dark, terrible things. I think nothing would make – for all the master talks about how he wants to like at various times right. kill the doctor, destroy everything the doctor cares about. I think nothing would make the, the master happier – than if the doctor became as evil as he is and I they could go off committing be evil together. Just Yay! go be evil across the galaxy. Yeah. And similarly, nothing would make the doctor happier. Witness the entire last season yeah. with Missy, right? Nothing would make the doctor happier than if he was able to redeem the master and they be, could become traveling companions and right. see the beauties of the universe together, yeah. right? Yep. So that's that's part of what makes their relationship so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was really good. So, I mean, I think that... You know, the way this was left, he was stranded in that void dimension or whatever. But, you know, the master's gotten out of war. So I think it's, I don't think we're intended to think, oh, he's never going to get out of this one. The only question is, will we see him again before the inevitable season finale where all this stuff comes up again? Will this be a plot? Will this be threaded throughout episodes where we'll get hints of the timeless child? Maybe we'll get one or two little master appearances. Yep. You know, even if it's just his holograms or something where he like, he's leading her on this chase throughout. Like, will it be... Will it be a thread? Through, like I think they've done this before. They did this a couple of times, I think, in the Moffat era, um, where we see a few adventures that seem unrelated. Yeah. But then later we learn that the Doctor, there's a reason why he went there and then there and then there. It's because he's trying to put together this mystery. You know what I mean? Yes. So so what if we see like this week's episode where they go to this space spa? What if that seems totally random? But then by the end of the season, we realize that the Doctor went to these four or five specific locations because she was gathering clues about this timeless child thing. And it all makes sense at the end of the season. Interesting. Or they could just do like they have the the beginning and the end of the season, the the bookend, the storyline. In the middle, they get to do a bunch of like standalone episodes, which works fine, too. I mean, certainly Doctor Who does a lot of standalone episodes. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was really good. I enjoyed it, yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? Rogue synths. Nice.